The New Age Christianity Podcast is brought to you by Hello, New Age Christian family. This is Austin Fletcher. You're listening to the New Age Christian Podcast, and this is episode number 82. So today I finally have Ronnie Harima with me in the studio. He is a very good friend of mine, and he and I have been trying to get in the studio for over a year now. That's just how life works. But uh, we have three episodes of Ronnie coming up, and uh, this interview uh, went long as we suspected it would, and uh, we did our best to break it up into three distinct parts. In this first episode, we are going to deconstruct fundamentalism, if you will. I don't, I don't. That wasn't really the intent. It's more just Ronnie's story, but he grew up fundamentalist. He grew up like a lot of us did in this New Age Christian journey with lots of church, lots of Jesus, lots of Christianity, and began to ask questions. And those questions are articulated in a way that only Ronnie can. I really enjoyed this episode, and I hope you do too. Let's get started. Is it ever hard to like stay authentic when it's recording? Like, Do you ever feel like that little thing kick in that makes you want to start pretending a little bit to play the part or is it does it feel general because i haven't done a podcast before okay so the moment i see that thing moving i'm like oh now what i say has to be it matters because it's being monitored right right so do you ever or have you gotten to the point where it feels natural i feel like i'm at the point where it feels natural i've for years as a public teacher that was probably part, a huge part of my journey was working through that what I would say is an, as an artificial sense of presentation. Okay. Authenticity. That's what may, quote unquote, makes me dangerous. Um, <laughs> is that I just, I, I'm authentic with my journey. Okay. I think there's a lot of people who followed me and my teachings for a season. Mm-hmm. And then I change. And I don't repackage it and like, oh, okay. soften it. Like... And then when I change, it really challenges people. Okay. And they, most of the time, leave. Okay. And so it's there's always this temptation to, like, word it differently or I'm just not going to say that. And there's a reality to, like, I, yeah. there's a respect that can, a, a respectful version of that mm-hmm. where I'm not saying it because I, it's, it's more than we have time to get into or I can see that you're clearly not ready to hear that. Not because I'm afraid, but mm-hmm. because... I just don't need to go there. Kind of like we were talking about mm-hmm. earlier. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, no. I mean, I've learned how to be fairly authentic watching that blue wave, sound right. wave be recorded while we're talking. Right. So. Yeah, it can be. Te- I imagine it can be tempting because it's like how I would imagine if I was a mayor or something. You want to say something that catches the most of the public as possible so you offend as least as probable right right so you can find yourself constantly trying to say what is politically correct or saying Mm -hmm. what you think will match your audience best and then at what point does that teeter on authenticity or whatever i'm just saying i can imagine since this is my first podcast those (laughs) thoughts are all running through my head like 
But I used I used to judge those people too. Like, oh, you're just being fake. You're being. Yeah. And then it's like, well, actually, no. There's a, there can be a in good yeah. intentioned reason yeah. to hold back. Mm-hmm. And so even that. Yeah. Um. So I'm just gonna go right into, yeah. welcome to the New Age Christian Podcast <laughs> with with Ronnie Harima, a good buddy of mine. Um. And this is pretty typical for our interactions. Uh, Ronnie and I live in different uh, cities in Michigan. Uh, we met each other, what, six, seven years ago? Yeah, yeah, it was about seven, seven years ago now. So, yeah. and we get together for a lot of those years, it was maybe two or three times a year. Yeah, yeah. And then when we do, we'll talk for hours on mm-hmm. end and it's always super energizing and encouraging and uh, brother from another mother kind of for me yeah and then the last year we've been a bit more intentional but still yeah we don't get to see each other nearly as often as we'd like um very true and for me i'm i've been wanting to introduce the new age christian community to you for, since the beginning <laughs> um if you've anybody who knows me and sees me more consistently i've always thought man I feel like Ronnie and I should do a show together, like build something together because it's, I think there is a power to how certain people can play off each other's thoughts and, and mature, uh, because of that, you know, ironing, iron sharpening iron, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But anyways, we have been going at this discussion for about two hours already. Yeah. And decided to finally hit record. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're finally letting people in on... We were having whiskey at 10 a.m. What? Well... <laughs> you can't tell people that. I have a brand to uphold. Yeah, oh, and, and then you realize we should have hit record way before this. So now we're having... Maybe we're having the conversation all over. Or maybe it's going to be entirely new. Right. Well... I don't know. I want people... So we could go a million places. Sure. And so, Ronnie, you, I know your story. And like most of the people who listen to this podcast grew up Christian. Yeah. I was thinking about the other day, the phrase, like, I was born a Christian. Like, no, you weren't. No. You were born a human. You were, right. you were raised a Christian. Yeah. Um, but anyways, grew up Christian, raised a Christian, yep. and then journeyed all the way to the point where just very recently talking about ideas around atheism versus deism versus... Yeah. And very comfortable, relaxed conversations about those things, yeah. of which you can choose what to reveal or not to reveal in yeah. this discussion. But I guess to start out, if I were to say, tell the people your story. Mm-hmm. Tell them my story. Well, you, yeah, and I just shared, you know, we've known each other for seven years, and then at your breakfast table... I just shared with you things I haven't even shared yet. Mm-hmm. And so I realized to the degree, you know, as your friend, in the religious community, if it can feel like you have to be so careful what you really believe or what you entertain, because at any moment you can be written off as a heretic or out of your mind or whatever. And he's so just, he's just lost. Yeah. He's and a lot lost. of my upbringing, <laughs> a lot of your upbringing teaches you to play by the rules teaches you to go along with the crowd it's crowd mentality it's social pressure and so even this morning it was great because there's you know me but yet there's little nuances little tiny ways that like i maybe haven't always said things as black and white as i've said them before so i've always been open-minded i've always i guess i should say first 
I was homeschooled for 12 years until I was in sixth grade. Um, and then I went to a private school, a private school where Trinity Christian, where you pray before every class. Mm-hmm. You have prayers. Every class? Every class. Not you, just in the morning. No, you do wow. Monday mornings. They're they play home. the national anthem. Okay. They have their own national anthem where I sw- pledge allegiance to the word of God and where you pledge allegiance to the Bible, not just to the flag. Right. Did you also do the Christian flag? To the Christian flag, yes. My group, my, my mm-hmm. school did American flag, Christian flag, and the Bible. Yes. All of it. Okay, sweet. Um, so you do that. So you're going to heaven. That's yeah, cool. I have a Bible class, of course, 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth grade. And then I have praise gathering every Thursday morning, which praise gathering mm-hmm. turned into a really good excuse for kids to extend it as long as it could go and we would skip class. So we all would high five each other when we could get the music and the altar call drug out as long as possible until hot lunch arrived. So pizza hut would arrive with hot lunch. And so if we could take praise gathering from 8 AM to 1145. So we were all incentivized to keep it going for the spirit to keep moving, which was really all of us just trying to skip class. But yet, kids are crying. Kids are falling on the ground. It was quite a... I don't believe there's any more spiritual, fundamental, evangelical world we could have been in. Mm. You know, heavy guilt, heavy shame, heavy... Every week, you're constantly repenting and going down to the altar to get cleansed. You're speaking in tongues. I mean, this is all happening when you're 11, 12, 13, 14 years old at your school. So then that wasn't enough. I would go to church Wednesday nights. Of course. I would then go to church Saturday nights, Mm. Sunday morning, Sunday night. So, I mean, if you combine, especially when I started going to school, my service hours logged alone. (laughs) Good Lord. Like each week is 10 to 12 hours of singing to God, reading from God's word, not alone your Bible classes. I mean, everything. If you really take it in. I mean, I was... I spent more times, my 6th, 7th, and 8th grade and ninth grade, they were all schools in a church building. So 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, those were classrooms at Res Life. And then ninth grade was a classroom at First Assembly. So those two schools housed the Christian school. Right. So like I spent more time in a church building than any other building. Sure. Hardly my home. I went home and slept. But when I wasn't sleeping, I was basically at church. Right. So, yeah, uh, from there. um, And now you're raising your kids the same way. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, it's been quite interesting because if you would have asked me 10 years ago when you're 36, what do you think you'll be doing? How do you think you'll believe? How will you be raising your kids? I wouldn't have said or even guessed that I would be where I am now. I would have guessed 10 years ago that I would be a pastor of some kind. Um, Maybe I'd be a traveling pastor of some kind. Mm. Um, I never felt like seminary and that kind of thing was like my alley, but I always thought talking to people about life and the mysteries of life and the supernatural and the Holy Spirit and teaching people the Bible, that always felt like my path. Mm. And I learned to adopt that at a young age. I remember my mom, when I was maybe eight, would give me the Bible, open up Proverbs and say, Take this highlighter, read it, and whatever verses stand out to you, highlight them. So as I'm learning my language, I'm even learning. I still don't know how to construct proper sentences entirely. I'm already highlighting scriptures and learning to trust that. Then I would highlight a verse, and then my mom would explain to me, oh, 
you highlighted that verse because the Holy Spirit led you to that verse and something about it connected with you. So while you're doing this, you are engaging with the Holy Spirit. So I'm having a thought introduced to me and I'm having a certain version of reality constantly fed to me day in and day out about what's going on around me. I remember, I still remember the kind of the way I used to think. I remember there was a pastor that said, you know, you remember the verse, um, the story about Elisha and he prayed for his servant and said, Lord, if you could open his eyes, he would see that greater are those around the city than those attacking the city kind of thing. And clearly his eyes were just closed. And if those eyes were opened, he would have seen the spiritual world for what it was. Well, growing up, pastors would come in and say, well, you've heard it said that there's an angel behind every bush. Well, I tell you, there's two demons behind every bush. And if your eyes could be opened, the sun would go dark because of the evil spirits that fill the air. The spirits that fill the air outnumber the grains of sand on the seashores. So... That sounds like a quote. So you've literally... I'm literally telling you, yeah, that's something I remember. Like our church, Res Life, used to have all these revival meetings. And so a pastor would come in from out of state and then they would host a Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday service. So it would be this megalith where you would go, (laughs) you'd go every night and the worship would go on for hours. Sounds like a gauntlet. Yeah. Sounds like a gauntlet. (laughs) Yeah, it was. It was like a Christian uh, ninja warrior. But... They did this. I remember my whole junior high, and it was like you were cool, especially if you were 13 and you were there. Adults would come up and pat your back and tell you, hey, great for being here. There's a lot of kids whose hearts aren't after God. Yours is. God has a call on your life. And you're constantly being affirmed and um, being reminded of how like wise you're being and how devout you're being and how God has a call on your life. And so it's also a great way for a young child. Like You get attention. So you learn, right. like, oh, wow, when I play along... I get noticed. I have worth. I get affirmed. I have worth. And so I remember one time I was reading my Bible, like I was always taught to, and I was at school early because my dad would drive me to school and drop me off at 7 a.m. so I could shoot because I wanted to learn how to play ball. My sister was dating the high school point guard, and so I got to see him, and he was like my idol. So I would go to school, and I would sit and learn how to shoot. And I had a teacher who I really loved and respected. His name was Mr. Hackney. And he came by and saw me one morning reading my Bible in the hallway. And he's like, hey, Ronnie, can I talk to you? And I was like, yeah. He's like, come to my room. So I went to his room and he said, I just want you to know that God has a call on your life and you're a leader. And because you're a leader, it means you're going to walk alone and you're going to be misunderstood. And you might not have the kind of friends other kids have. You might not be as popular as other kids are popular, but it's because you're called for a specific you know, purpose to serve God, but you need to know that you're a leader. So that way, when you're all alone, you can take courage knowing there's a purpose behind all this, whatever. Right. Which that quote was huge. Like that was big for me because I was 12, maybe sixth grade, uh, 12, 13. And during that time, my parents were going through, that was when I realized how rocky their marriage was. And I still recall hearing them fight through the vent in my ceiling. And I would pray. I would pray for them to separate. Mm. How unchristian, right? Right. But I would. It was just so painful and I hated hearing it. I wanted them to separate so I could finally just live with one of them and I didn't have to hear them fight every day. So at that time for a teacher to pull me aside and like give me his attention, give me his eye contact, tell me he was proud of me give me that word of encouragement, it stuck with me in a big way. And it really helped to form like 
that's right. I need to read my Bible even more. I have people, <laughs> I have people to lead. I have people to save. It set me on a path ever since I was young. My mom used to tell me my name was Ronald and that my name meant wise ruler. And so Ooh. from a young age, I had to just, which some of those things I think are nice. They can be helpful. Sure. They can give you confidence, but it can also, yeah. So I mean, I mean that's the parent's job, right? Yeah. And that's the, the upbringing's job is to instill things. The thing is, is that there is, you can literally be the world's greatest parent. Yeah. And that child is still going to walk away with issues. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. I view issues as, as part of the birthright yeah. of, yeah. of growth. Yep. But you could have the world, Jesus could be your parent and you're still going to walk away with yep. some challenge about being over encouraged or under disciplined yeah. or something like that. So I think there in, in, in any discussion about how we were raised, cause I'm very similar. I wasn't mm-hmm. homeschooled, but I was private schooled, mm-hmm. um, had the, you know, Thursday morning, uh, chapel. Mm-hmm. Ours wasn't uh, Pentecostal or charismatic, mm-hmm. so we didn't have the altar calls until lunch. I wish we would have. That would have been great. But we had our own versions of that. It was a very more kind of Baptist Bible thumper okay. versus Holy okay. Spirit. The King James? Uh, no, no, no. NIV, okay. largely. Okay. Um, nearly inspired version. Yep. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, there's a lot of similarities, but I think in any discussion that we have about our upbringing, I think it's good for the audience to know, like these aren't two grown men bitching about anything. Yeah. It is just the reality of, yeah, this is how kids are raised. Right. Right. Kids are raised in a thought tradition. Kids are, you know, you're not born Christian. You're raised Christian. Right. Kids are handed these beliefs. Kids are handed and, we're also not saying that parents shouldn't do that. Well, I remember we went to a church called Maranatha. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think it's a church anymore. But I remember one morning my mom was like, Ronnie, do you want to wear... I had like a big tie-dye shirt. She was like, hey, do you want to bring your big tie-dye shirt this morning and bring your bathing suit? And I remember going, why? She's like, oh, well, your older sister Rebecca and your older brother Justin, they're getting baptized this morning. Do you want to get baptized with them? It wasn't an understanding of baptism. It wasn't an understanding, really, of what Jesus did or didn't do. It really was entirely cultural and familial in nature. So I remember going, and my mom's like, okay, well, they're going to ask each of you, you're getting baptized today. Why are you getting baptized? What are you going to say? And I remember, I don't remember what I said, but I remember telling my mom, well, okay, I guess I'll say this. And she was like, no, don't say that. Just say it's because, and she gave me words to say, but I was only seven. Right. You know, I'm little. So I'm going forward and A, I'm receiving something that I don't understand. I'm doing it because my older brother and sister are doing it. I'm just playing the role that I'm supposed to, you know, be playing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I'm being told again, high five by parents. I'm being hugged by parents. I'm being told how amazing, you know, God has a call for you. And so you're constantly being approved, even though you don't understand it, you know. Right. And so I, it was just a very, um, yeah, I guess I would say it was a very, probably like a lot of people, it was a very heavily induced Christian world. And I guess, you know, where I've come to now, so I don't live Christian anymore. I don't profess that I am a Christian. I'm not a believer in any kind that way. Um, so I've come almost 180, almost full, like opposite directions from where I was raised. Well, clearly um, the opposite of Christian is Islam. 
Yeah, right. Yeah. Clearly opposite of Christian is Buddhist, right? Yeah. So they think. Right. All right. Because there is no other option. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I think I some of that started... Um, where could I even go with how some of it started? <laughs> there were some degrees where I never felt like I fit in. Like, I remember there was a guy named Tim Story that came to Res Life. And he would, like, you know, knock over entire um, sections of people. Oh, like with a wave of the hand? Like yeah, yeah, Benny yeah. Benny yep. style? Yeah, yeah. Wave, yeah. The, wave of the hand. And so I'd be there. I'm 13. And then he would... It was, there's always a preemptive, and it's always a leading, and it's always a foretelling of what's about to happen. Right. It leads to suggestibility. If he would have just waved his hand at an at a section of the crowd, nothing would have happened. It's amazing the suggestibility that goes into this stuff. But he's like, hey, this crowd right here, God has showed me you're next. Everyone stand to your feet. So a whole crowd, mm-hmm. you know, section. And God's showing me right now, this is going to happen, and backs are going to be healed, and knees are going to be healed, and sorrows tears are going to be wiped away and like some of you who have relational problems are going to be solved and he's just starting to prophesy over this whole group this is going to come and he's going to fill your heart with passion all this stuff and we're going to start seeing everyone church keep playing piano player keep playing and it's this building and this building and this building and then after five minutes or so he's like and god's telling me and the wave like a dove the wave of his spirit's going to come from up there he's just told me that corner of the building it's going to come in from up there and it's going to come across here and it's going to hit you like a wave and you won't be able to resist it you won't be able to stand to your feet there's just all this (laughs) literally telling you and so he's like praying he's like okay god's telling me here it comes it's coming in five it's coming in four are you ready for it's coming in three your blessing is on its way it's coming in two i feel it right now and then he would come and like run toward Right. That group and shove his hand forward, you know, and all of a sudden from the front row back, all the whole group would just start falling backward. I'm somewhere toward the back of that group, but I'm sitting there, 13 year old, just watching. <laughs> the last thing in the world I'm going to do is, is be the only one standing in a church of 2,500 people. And so you take it and you fall and then you're laying there going, did I just fall or didn't I fall? But I remember laying there going, if this was 100% real, I shouldn't be so consciously able to be sitting here asking the question, what just happened? Exactly. Did it happen? If my mind was Mm -hmm. really overtaken, if the hand of God came and just shoved me down to the ground, I should be laying here bawling my eyes out or something. And I should stand up and be able to tell anybody, I couldn't fight it. I couldn't resist it. I even tried, and God just took me and set me on the ground. But I couldn't honestly say any of that. I'm laying there on the ground, and I remember going, should I get up now? And I looked to my right and left, and like nobody had gotten up. Like, no, 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 I, I got it longer. And I'm laying there thinking <laughs> about it, but then other people get up, and as other people get up, I'm like, okay, actually, they're standing up, so if I stay here longer, it means I'm getting more of it. I'm still under right. the thing. Right. So I would like... But later, when I would go to my bed at night, when I would be alone in my own thoughts, I'm going, I shouldn't have been able to think all that through in those moments, right? I should have actually been out in the spirit and I actually stood up once the spirit left me or whatever that was. Mm -hmm. So yeah, all those, those probably were some of my first inklings of like, what is this thing we're doing? And I didn't know enough. I thought, how dare you doubt? Maybe this guy really is. And maybe... A lot of these people are getting knocked over. And do you? And to that end, do you? I get like so. I have, 
I don't know if we'll get to the story, but I have my own like first experience with Pentecostalism. Yeah, that was. Uh, I mean, the the it was significant. Yeah, but actually, my second, my first two, actually. But do you to that note? Like, so obviously, your own like this. If this is the hundred percent legit, right? There shouldn't be all these questions, right? Which I used to, t- I still teach for years. Like, if it's the yeah. voice of God, right? There is no, no. I just know I need to do this. Yep. Right. And there's a reality to that. But do you think of those 2,500 people, do you think any of them might have genuinely fallen over, had an encounter with mm-hmm. spirit? You know, where, where do you hold your experience versus 2,500 other people that might have had a different experience? At the time, I just assumed they were. And I assumed I was an odd duck or I assumed um, I assumed I was a fraud, maybe. Okay. You know, at the time I was like, well, maybe, maybe there's something wrong with me. You know, maybe there's some, I don't know, maybe these people are, I would give them the benefits. I remember my earliest memory of Jesus was my dad holding me, my, my legs are wrapped around his waist doing the bear hug thing. Mm -hmm. And we're at a church service. I used to stand on the pew and he would hold me so I could see above everybody, but people would be running up and down the aisles with banners, you know, banners. I didn't didn't encounter those until college. Celebrate like, Jesus, this? celebrate, right? And you're seeing people running up and down dancing. And my dad used to, and my mom and dad would be like, oh, it was so cute. You used to love to dance for the Lord. I was four. Right. I'm I used five. to love to dance because it was fun. I watched people running up and down, and there was people whose faces I would recognize. You'd be like, hey, Ronnie. And I would get in the aisle, and a stranger would hold my hands and dance with me. And I'm just dancing because these adults are happy. I have no idea why they're happy. And I remember my dad, I'm bear hugging him. Especially if your home life isn't so happy. Yeah, sure. You know, that's yeah, a whole other context. Totally. And I remember my dad was crying. And I remember I looked back and I was like, Dad, why are you crying? And he like kind of gathered himself and wiped his tear. And he was like, because, bud, because I love Jesus so much. And so I'm four or five, you know, okay. You love Jesus so much. Well, at that age, it clearly puts an intrigue in you to go, man, if my dad, my hero, the person who's bear hugging, holding me, this giant, this person I love, this this person who all my trust goes into this being who's raising me, he loves Jesus so much that it's making him cry. Like, I want to know who Jesus is too. But right. I didn't know Jesus. I didn't know who Jesus was. I didn't have those same feelings, but and, it made and, me want to have those same feelings and go, oh. And what if one word was different? Instead, well, yeah, like instead if, of Jesus, if it was yes. Allah. If he said, oh yeah, it's because I love Allah so much or Krishna, I would have had the same experience. Or Bob. Yeah, so I, <laughs> um, that's a huge, huge, not just a criticism, but I would say an awareness I have for anybody who's religious minded the fact is 96% of people born into their religion don't convert out of it. So we got right. we got to pause there and then ask a big question. Why in 2000 years has Christianity <laughs> been unable to convert Hinduism? Why has it been unable to convert China? Why has it been unable to convert the Muslims who the Muslims now outnumber the Christians and the Muslims got a 500 year late start than they did. Right. So then you go if you just look at it and go, why does the Hindu believe what he believes? For the same reason, I'm bear hugging my dad. My dad's having his encounter. There's banners and flags waving. I was born into a Christian world. And as my mind and as my tongue is developing language, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, before I'm hearing that my dad loves Jesus, before I know how to even ask what 
Jesus is. I'm too young. I don't know how to ask what's the difference between diarrhea and you know what I'm saying like I don't know anything regular poop, regular poop. <laughs> uh, I'm too little but yet I'm being introduced to concepts that I don't know better than to challenge and not right. even challenge I don't know better I just you learn to just trust it if my dad tells me I see a bunny run across the street and if my dad says oh no no that's not the the American whitetail, that's the something something. I'm going to go, okay, I'm just going to immediately believe it. And there's people listening to this podcast even right now who are, who may be getting hives because we're talking about Jesus versus Krishna versus yeah. versus right. Allah versus Bob. Mm-hmm. And it is one of those things that's like, if you can't be honest, and to those people, yeah, yeah. I would say, you know, as... Let me back up a second. As sure. the founder of quote unquote New Age Christianity, one of the number one things that I get hit with in emails and in little side comments and stuff like that is, yeah, but Jesus is still king, right? Right? Right, right, right. right. We, with Christianity's developed in a, a tolerance and somewhat even of an appetite for yep. deeper thinking about the Bible yep. or deeper thinking about what is consciousness. And so New Age Christianity is filled with like, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to think deeper than my Baptist upbringing. Right. But the moment you touch Jesus mm-hmm. and you say you could have introduced, you could your dad could have said Krishna. Your dad yeah. could have said Allah. Your dad could have said Bob. You know what's and, worse? He could have been a Mormon. Oh, right. And he could have quoted Joseph Smith. So like, see, I even found that, I would say I found this later where mm-hmm. I see it now is Christians don't, you could probably have a Hindu and a Christian sit down and have a better conversation than you could a Baptist and a Presbyterian. Right. The chances of two different, entirely different religions talking, it's almost like they have less in conflict. Right, because they they already kind of think the other one is so far removed that we can have a civil conversation now. Yeah, and so then you have to, I would say what I suddenly realized I became inundated with was contradiction after contradiction and question after question. So if the spirit will lead you into all truth, Mm. why after 2000 years are there 41,000 denominations that if on any given day I said, I want to get my heart right, I want to know where I'm going to go if I die. The Christian religion is obviously sometimes most pointed at your afterlife. So I want to know what's going to happen if I die (laughs) in my ride home today. It's not about... So if I go to a Presbyterian and go, I want to know how do I get eternal life or know that I'm right with God, it is sad to realize I'm going to get different explanations from everybody. So mm-hmm. then going, and each one is convinced to no end that their explanation of how one gets saved is the way. And if I go, well, I just went to a Catholic yesterday, and this is what he said I need to do. And then if I said, well, then I went to the Reformed the other day, and they said, this is what I need to do. The evangelical would go, uh-uh-uh. The thing is, and everyone has this little trump. It's not even that. It's yeah. It's Bob the evangelical versus Tom the evangelical. Right. They're going to give you different answers. That's what I'm saying. So you get to a point where you go, if the Holy Spirit is what the Holy Spirit says it is in the Bible and what believers say it is, shouldn't we be able to get together and come to the same conclusions? So either... The Holy Spirit, well, they wouldn't like to think this, but either the Holy Spirit just isn't even a thing and it's a construct of each person's psyche and their imagination. Okay. Fine. Or the Holy Spirit is so damn confusing 
and he fails at communication and Christian's going, no, 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 he's the perfect communicator. You just suck at listening. Okay. I know what so, the truth is. And yeah. therefore the Holy Spirit needs to lead you into my truth. So, or the Holy Spirit is so confusing and how unfair for God than to ever judge anybody. <laughs> Think about that. How right. unfair for God to be judgmental if he speaks the perfect word, but he knows people are so bad at interpreting. They're going to come up with 41,000 different reasons. I think to it's get up to 44. 44? Here's the deal. It would suck even if it was 100. If there was 100 mainstream denominations right. with 100 different definitions of the afterlife, five. salvation, or prayer, how do I get filled with the Holy Spirit? You're going to get different answers. So then you go... But yet God is going to judge me on all of this and all of it's coming from people. So at some point I would go, you've got to be able to cut. All right. Some Christians go, well, you're pulling the worst out of Christianity. You know, you got to look to God, not to people. Well, number one, the book says that people are the hands and feet of Christ. Right. So I need them to either find this. Fine. Let's say I. Well, no, I've found like, right. okay, I go straight. I do that. Right. Look to God, not to people. Okay, I'm going to look to God. And they go, yeah, but you're totally right. wrong. Right. Wait, by whose definition? Oh, the people's right. definition. Right. <laughs> so I'm supposed to look to God, not to people, but you still look to people. I just look to the wrong people. Right. The right. logical fallacies abound. That's the great technical term, logical fallacies. And so too many times, one plus one does not equal two, and one plus one equals four. And so then there's certain conclusions the church can come to. And then God is always, or let's just say we said one plus X equals four or one plus X equals Y. So they create a Y conclusion and then X becomes whatever it is that is needed to fill that conclusion. Right. So there's really no basis for faith. You would say it's the Bible, but the Bible literally contradicts itself left and right all over the place. On one hand, it says, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Do not judge lest you be judged. And then literally you go to the, jump to the next book and he says, hey, don't even dine with an unbeliever. You just told me not to judge. <laughs> so like, well, 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 but here's the problem. But you need the Holy Spirit to learn how to interpret. Okay, tell me how to get the Holy Spirit. Well, I say, <laughs> I'm just saying, it literally goes on his rabbit trail and they're trying to say that their message is so clear you wonder why nobody really knows what to believe in the end. Right. We're kind of left with our own experience, our own heart. And that ends up leading me to like, I think the place I came to in my own life was like, man, I can't trust Joel Osteen. Let's just stop with all of the, the bullshit in our world. I can't just trust Billy Graham. I can't just trust Joel Osteen. I'm supposed to trust the Holy Spirit in my own heart, right? Right. Which they say is going to convict me of the scripture. So the Holy Spirit's going to always point me to the book. Okay. I love this. I, so I, can I, like, yeah. again, this is, we're not trying to tear apart people's faith. This is not about Jesus well, versus I don't, Krishna. I don't mind that. <laughs> what, I mean, it's, it's, this is about. If your faith is legit, yeah, where did it come from? You should be able to stand this conversation. Thank you. And when I and I would say, when I realized my first journey, I would say around the time I met you seven years ago, it was like, oh wow, I had always thought more expansive things. Like I loosened up on like the LGBT thing a while ago. Sure. Me and Anna are on our honeymoon ten years ago, and. 
we there was this couple uh what was his name nathan and another guy from north carolina and his dad was a minister of okay. a big church and he was on his gay honeymoon so me and anna are like having dinner with them every night and then of course we had just recorded a gospel praise and worship cd Ooh. so here we are which is really good by the way thank you your wife's got an thank amazing you. voice and your your taste for music i love your guys' stuff thank you yeah she does she's amazing check out ronnieharima.com it is it's my name um I guess I should spell it R O N N I E H E R R E M A dot com. I should simplify that and make it so much easier, but it's my full name dot com. But here we are my at the time we were even helping with a church plant, right. gospel music, but yet we're sitting down having dinner with this gay couple, getting to know them, and everything in me is having to either confront what it is I'm experiencing and seeing. And then comparing, yet will I hold a verse over my experience or will I let my experience overcome this verse that I think I'm supposed to adhere to? Oh, my gosh. Will that's I, freaking... That's, I, I'm looking at this kid asking this question. Can I honestly go to my own prayer closet? Can I go within and do I have the confidence to say, I think this guy is a sinner. I think this guy deserves judgment. I think this guy is deceived. He's only gay because he had a broken childhood. All this kind of stuff. All these preconceived ideas. Which in some cases are true, but... Sure. And I and I had to go... All the stories I had heard growing up about uh, what makes a sinner a sinner, what makes a homosexual a homosexual, whatever. None of these things are true. This guy's as loving as anyone is loving. I felt so much friendship toward him. I felt so much love toward him. Anna and I felt so torn. Almost like... By the end of our honeymoon, even, I had a time where I apologized to him. And I just said, I, w I just want you to know, I don't think I've treated you this way. But all my life, I've heard a certain narrative about people like you. And I'm just letting you know now, I just want you to know as a believer, I don't agree with it. I disagree with it. And I vote. If I had a choice, I vote for you. And you would be allowed into the party. And like we cried together. Um, we've messaged each other on Facebook throughout that time. Those are just little inkling examples of my own dogma getting stretched by my experience and me being forced with my response. What am I going to do? Cling to dogma or cling to people? If I could encourage, you know, if, in, if New Age Christianity is about anything, it's about challenging people to, sure. to and encouraging them because I think, let me rephrase it. I'm not out to challenge people. I'm out to help people who have been challenged. Okay. Find a new way of thinking, even if they don't agree with what I put out on a recording. Sure, that it helps them just add to add to the process, right? Yep. Add an ingredient to the soup that you're creating. Yeah. And when you say that, you know, this dogma, yeah, that you have being the thing by which you judge, mm -hmm. I think it is to realize for people to realize, like, you do have a dogma. Yeah. You have beliefs, you have, and when you allow your experience, and if, mm -hmm. if there's anything that I would hope that people would get from a podcast or any project like this, is to say, guys, your experience of being, and, and people who listen to this podcast know that I, I elevate the experience right. of being as the reason for life. Yeah. And so if your experience of being presents to you a challenge to your dogma, right. pay attention. Right. Let it challenge you. 
truth, quote unquote, Jesus, quote unquote, Holy Spirit, right. Father, they can handle it. Right. Your experience is designed to help you grow and, and designed by quote yeah. unquote who, whatever. Right. It, it, it is the experience of living that is the truth because it is in the now. Right. So many other things are in tomorrow or in the past. Right. And yet the reality is now as mm -hmm. beings that are inside of time and space. The now is the only thing that is real. Yeah, I would say that it just started making me ask ask those kinds of basic questions like where did this come from and how did I come to honestly and and hold I guess a big thing would be do I actually believe what I say I believe? Mm. Or do I just say that I believe it and then I hope it? Do I know it to be real or do I hope it to be real? So it's different than going, well, I live as if it's real. Well, it doesn't matter if it is or not. You can live as if My Little Pony is real. And you can pray to My Little Pony. <laughs> and you can make up. Anybody can make up a religion and live by it into some degree Everything works by the flip of a coin. The Berkeley Institute did it. Um, and there's nobody who would want prayer to be as real as them. Check me on that. You can Google the institute that did a huge study on prayer. They would go to somebody who is dealing with like a, a, a surgery they're about to go through or something bad. Right. And they'd say, you've got 500 people praying for you. And then they would go to a group of people and go, hey, we want you to pray for this person, but we're not going to tell them you're praying for them. Okay. And then they'd go to another person and go, we're not going to pray for this one. So we got two people being prayed for. One knows they're being prayed for. One doesn't know they're being prayed for. One is not getting prayed for. Right. And they just did test after test after test after test to go, if God is listening and God is hearing the cries of the oppressed, like it says in scripture, we should see an effect. Even if it was like a shade over 50% return. Nope, it's not. It's the exact same odds as flipping a coin. Hmm. So then you go, and they even found that the people who knew they were being prayed for turned out worse almost because now they felt the internal pressure to get better and it added anxiety or added some stress to their system. I've need, I need to come through because now they're hoping I come through. So the people who knew they were getting prayed for, oddly, right? Well, there's there's people who tell, I'm praying for you, and I'm like, uh, great. please don't. Yeah. <laughs> so there was enough things like that that over time, my first part of my journey would be to go, there's enough hypocrisy or there's enough problems in the Christian faith to go, the faith either needs to be fixed or expanded or something. So I'd say my first part of the journey was trying to expand it, trying to make it bigger than it was, trying to make Jesus. No, no, no. I still believe in Jesus, but he definitely would smoke weed with me. Like, I definitely <laughs> believe in Jesus, but Jesus is all about the human body and thinks women are beautiful. So when I, I love looking at naked women, Jesus is totally for that. He blesses my sexuality. So right. what I found myself doing was for about five years, I would say most of my adult life, I was constantly trying to make Jesus bigger and cooler and more expansive and more universal all while still fitting it under the finding some way in the Bible to go, ah, see, Jesus did that. So he would be for this. Like I was trying to make Jesus fit everything. Right. Right. Which I think is a good thing for a lot of people to do. I think if you're a fundamentalist, you should do that. But what I found then was there was still points at where if my only concept of God or Jesus came from the scripture, there's 
thousands and thousands of locations to see where the scripture contradicts itself. God says one thing and then the next day says the next, which leads to all sorts of confusion and all sorts of interpretation to which would make me go, man, I can't. And then once you start looking up the history of the Bible and how it was put together, you come to a pretty quick conclusion. I think if anybody does an honest evaluation of how the book was assembled and who the people were that assembled it, all you need to do is look at King Henry, who beheaded eight wives, separated himself from the Roman Catholic Church and made himself the head of the Church of England. Mm-hmm. All you got to do is then look at his predecessor, King James, who started the witch trials because his wife and his son died at a shipwreck at sea. And then he believed they died because he was the king of, uh, I think it was Scotland. And he was next up to become the king of England. And it was his cousin a female at the time who was the queen and it was his role next Mm -hmm. and his wife and son died at sea and so he believed satan and the local witches were conspiring to prevent him from acquiring the throne so he went on the witch hunt tirade king james is the one who initiated the witch hunt and then you go through and go and this is the man who eventually um when he became king of england he wrote a book called the demoniac And he had it printed and sent to all the people in London so that they could get to know him before he became king so they could get to know how he thinks. And if you read his book, The Demoniac, you get an example of somebody who believes there's a a demon behind the monitor and behind the lamp and like a incredibly superstitious, freaked out view of reality. Right? Where he's the supreme angelic narcissist who has to fight the demons, keep them at bay. Everyone in the world is against him, and it's his godly right to get to the throne. And so you'd sit back, and you just look through the history of... That's just one example. And just just to add, yeah, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Am. Amen. Yeah. Which is not in older transcripts anyway. No. All right. It's only in King James. Thank you. So, anyway. So, <laughs> it does begin you then on a journey to go, if the Bible says it's the infallible breathed word of God... And all you need to do is find one error. You can play it off all you want and go, oh, that's just humans. But now you're admitting humans edited and wrote the book. And the Holy Spirit maybe inspired the original writings, but he didn't inspire the editing. <laughs> Come on. Or or the councils that right. decided which books were and totally. were not. So it made me, I came to a conclusion. And any, any theologian can disagree with me. That's fine. But I don't need to base my entire life off a theologian. Like, again, if the God of the universe, he should be the most supreme communicator. He should know how to get through to my brain as best as anybody can get through to my brain. He should know my personality. He should know how I function. He should see the thousands of hours of services and Bible study and the ways I've dedicated myself. Mm -hmm. And after all this time, he should know exactly what I need to believe. Right? Mm -hmm. And so if he remains ambiguous... He remains a step back, and it's left for me to figure out. It's left for us to battle it all out. It leads you to realize if the book says it's infallible and not one word of it should be changed, and if you change a word from the book, your name will be erased from the Lamb's Book of Life. Right. That's huge. And if you add to the words of the Book of Life, so will the plagues during the Great Tribulation be added to you. So there's some pretty <laughs> harsh words there for whoever adds to the Bible or takes away from the Bible. So I looked at it and said, fine, all I need to find is one error or one contradiction, right? Mm-hmm. Where that makes no sense. 
or it's proof to go back and go who wrote Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to even find out, oh, Matthew didn't write it, Mark didn't write it, Luke didn't write it, John didn't write it. <laughs> so it, there's so much that all you need is basic skepticism and basic logic. Basic skepticism. Basic skills to look at the history, and I have found in my life, yet to this day, I have not had a conversation with a Christian that if I said, oh, did you know the book of Genesis was a poem? 99% of people don't know that it was a poem. Right. They don't know it was artistic in form. It wasn't the encyclopedia of eternity. It was right. a poem written by a dude with frail language written. Uh, and even, even within its own context written by a dude right. 3,000 years later? Yes, long later. And even the best forms of the gospel written at least 70 years or that, so later. So, think about just a thousand years. Yeah. It would be like me writing about Muhammad. I don't know Muhammad at all, but he was here and he lived. Right. And I meet some guy on the subway who knew Muhammad or who had a dream about Muhammad. That's even better. So imagine I meet Raphael <laughs> on the subway yesterday, my Uber driver. I meet Raphael, the Uber driver, who had a vision of Muhammad, and he tells me all these things that occurred. And I go, wow, that's really believable. I'm going to write a book about it. It's, I Actually, so as I'm saying here, it's 2,000 years later. Moses writes about, Moses writes Genesis, the book of Genesis. Yeah. So it is literally a modern day person right. writing a book about Jesus. Right. And 4,000 years from then, yeah. people pretending like it's a, an encyclopedia yeah. recitation of Jesus's life. Right. So I think those are be fun. And I don't even know if it's, <clears throat> I don't know if it's episode two, maybe we hit pause and go through it. But like, for me, I think my engagement with people is I love challenging people. I loved partly because I love challenging myself. And I came right. to realize that, wait a minute, what if there was a handful of things that I was believing that weren't true? A friend of mine told me he would always sleep with his mouth shut and he'd put a pillow over his head because he heard the story that humans swallow up to eight spiders a year because they sleep with their mouth open <laughs> in their night. And he heard this when he was young. He actually works with me. And he said, so he started looking it up one day and he found out that that rumor began in 1956 when a lady put out a stream of untruths to see how fast untruths would spread. Wow. So she wanted to test and see how quickly people would pick up on and just believe something because it's weird or scary. And it turns out the eight spiders a year thing was just a test, but it literally went so far that people to this day will quote it as if it's true. Wow. So there's an example. He's 22 years old or 21. And he's like, my whole life, since I was eight, I've been sleeping with my mouth shut. So I have a belief that went unchecked and it affects me. It makes me perform a certain action. And that's a good example of going at how many different levels of my life am I engaging with my faith or my spirituality and really not hitting pause to go, when did I start believing this? Why do I believe this? Right. Do I just believe it because it was given to me? Do I just believe it because I hope it to be true? Do I believe it because this actually happened to me and I have an experience that's unexplainable, whatever? I think it's so healthy for people of spiritual beliefs, especially Christians, because I was one, to go through the process of really asking yourself why you do believe what you believe and how did you come to it? Because two things will happen. You'll either find out you don't know and you've got some searching to do, or your reasons for believing what you do will be validated and you will be even stronger after you check your beliefs. So for me going, what would be so dangerous? Just put your Bible down. 
Go read the Bhagavad Gita and see what you find. Is there truth in there? Is there beauty in there? Is there wisdom in there? Go read um, the Chinese texts. Go read about the Tao. Right. Go read the Quran. Go um, look up. Re- I read a book a couple of years ago called A History of Magic in America about witches in America. Really interesting book. And seeing why do most witches pursue what they pursue? What are they really after? They're after beauty, grace, connection, healing, power, tapping into the invisible, wanting to serve the creator. They're into the four elements. They're into the four seasons. They very much honor the earth, the dirt, the air, the fire. They believe in white magic, that whatever you give, so it will come back to you. They believe in black magic. If I curse somebody or if I do someone ill, three times that will come back to me. They have their own form of checks and balances. And you're like, morality. that's an interesting morality right there. So seeing, it might be different than Christianity, but seeing the genuine pursuits of other traditions, I think that would have probably been my next road, was eventually um, looking into astrology and seeing how it connected to a lot of the Hebrew scriptures, looking into how much Greek mythology and Christianity and Egyptian mythology all played into each other. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was like a journey of Christianity getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and picturing that it umbrellaed all the other faiths and ideas. I still always pictured other traditions and faiths fit underneath the umbrella of Yahweh. Right. But it was all in how I framed it. And then I also stopped. And then for me, it was where did I begin to believe in a creator called Yahweh. Where did that come from? And why do I hold to that to this day? And so I think for me, it was just this constant process of being willing to challenge myself. And if I found I didn't have a good answer, would I continue to keep proclaiming what I proclaimed with what what I would call like a house built on cards? Hmm. Or should I start over into a sense and say, I don't know anymore. I'm not so sure. And finding out that's not actually so scary and it's not so demonic and it's not so, I don't know, not so rebellious in nature that if I stood before God one day, wouldn't I want to be honest? Right. What I, if in some, you know, Pascal's wager, mm-hmm. well, what if you're, what if you're wrong? Pascal's wager is what if you're wrong? Wouldn't it be at least best to confess you're a Christian and confess him as Lord? And I would say to Pascal's wager, I'd say, do you think when I'm standing before him, he won't see that I only did it as fire insurance? Right. Do you really think God is so dumb that like he doesn't read my thoughts? So the one thing I won't do is stand before God one day a liar. I'll go, hey, I have some questions now. Will he let me answer them? Will he let me speak? That's up to him if there is that God. But I'm willing to challenge those things and go, you gave me a brain, you gave me a heart, you gave me an experience and a consciousness Mm -hmm. for a reason. And there's enough examples throughout the whole book, examples of people who flew on chariots, examples of people who parted waters, examples of someone who got knocked off their horse and blinded. So I'm standing here going, when I realized that my faith was, I loved those stories but my life experience never had those kinds of stories in it, not emphatically. Okay. I realized my life experience was wanting stories like that to become real, wanting experiences like that to become literal, and going, I had a faith in Jeremiah, or I have faith in Paul, but at what point do I step and go, without the Bible, where would my belief in the supernatural have come from? Hmm. If I wasn't raised in church, would I really sit here and look around and believe there were angels all around me and stuff? 
So does my faith come from my experience or does my faith come from my culture? So therefore, is my faith really mine or is my faith adopted? Is my faith borrowed? And just going, do I want to live my life based on the fact that somebody 4,000 years ago had a really cool experience they couldn't explain? Right? Right. Is that a good enough reason for me to go, hey, cool, Daniel, I believe you. You saw a wheel within a wheel. That makes a lot of sense for me. Therefore, here's what I'm going to do in 2020. <laughs> I think it's kind of making those connections going, can it's I a, say it's it? It's a gyroscope. It's a gyroscope, whatever. It's let me interpret the book of Revelation 2,000 years ago into modern events. Yeah. It's, yeah. So let's take a – we're yeah. going to stop right here and just like – we will continue to part two because basically sure. we've gone through your story. Yeah. But we haven't really fully gotten yeah. into where you are now. Sure. sure. And where you are now, I think, is really valuable for people to sure. kind of like, okay, so what do all these questions cre create in somebody's journey? Right. So um, thanks for listening. And uh, as always, I appreciate your time. An hour of somebody's time these days is very valuable. So yeah. that uh, reciprocity does not go unnoticed. And uh, for those of you who would consider donating, we do accept donations. 501c3 at uh, newagechristianity.org. And we now host all of our podcast episodes on Anchor that also has a uh, support functionality. <laughs> Thank you guys for liking, sharing, and journeying with us. So... Uh, we're going to have Ronnie back on this next episode. You're going to have to wait a week uh, until you hear where he's at these days. And uh, we're just going to keep recording until, and then you'll, you guys have to wait. So sorry about that, but I'm excited for the next 50 minutes. Sure. <laughs> so. No, I'm excited to share because a lot of what we've done is obviously dismantling. And right. I think that's so important, but yeah, I'd love to keep talking about, the questions I think we should keep asking ourselves mm -hmm. because why would we not want to believe what we know to be true? Why would we, right? If, well, do I want to keep sleeping with my, my, my mouth shut for no reason? Mm. So to what degree does faith play a role in my life that is it helping me? Is it complicating things? Is it adding to my trauma or is it taking away my trauma? Whatever. And so just so that people know, like maybe even in the next episode, my intention isn't to just turn around and make people unhappy because there's a lot of this process. I'll admit I spent a good year not really enjoying what I was finding. Right. It's not comfortable oh, to decentralize all of your beliefs, but I think it's healthy because then what you find, would you not want it to be your own? So what I am finding is my own and whether some, whether that makes sense for somebody else or whether it doesn't, at least I feel like I'm becoming more honest. I'm becoming more humble when I'm going to talk about God. I'm rarely going to preach to somebody about a belief in the supernatural, rather share with them. Yeah, I've had this experience or I've heard that one person say it this way. I'm going to be much more flexible, much more humble, much more tender about my proc. They're going to become less authoritarian. Thus right. saith the Lord. My journey has become very much more like human in its nature and much more practical. So to, yeah, I would, I think the next episode, I would love to not be so necessarily cynical, but what, how do these questions and how does this journey lead to actually maybe like a tree planting your roots in the soil of reality? How can you actually become grounded 
right? Right, reality. Yes. So it it definitely is like a becoming human for me journey. All right. Well, let's go to that episode. And uh, thanks again, guys. We'll see you on the next episode. All right. Take care.